Welcome back for a fantastically exciting episode of Dig City, a Purdue volleyball podcast. Season is back. We are in the swing of things, and I am joined by the head coach of Purdue Volleyball, Dave Shondell. Following two weekends of Big Ten play, coach, it was the dog days of 2020 when we were talking and, and waiting for season to get going, and here we are in the beginning of February. It's fantastic to have college volleyball back, isn't it? It really is, and you know we're one of the lucky ones that we've had you know four matches already played. There have been some teams in our league that have not played yet, uh, or they got uh, uh, postponed last weekend and didn't play. I know Northwestern is in a pause in their program now and, and will maybe be ready to play when we see them uh, in a few weeks, but um, we feel fortunate that we're, we're healthy. The teams that we have played have been healthy, and we've had some good competition to start this 2021 season. Let's, uh, let's review the first couple weekends of Purdue Volleyball here to start off this podcast episode traveling to number one. We previewed it in our last episode. It was going to be a tough task and then not playing with, you know, all American grace Cleveland. What were some of the adversities that you and the team felt that you really had to overcome on that trip up to Madison? Well, we always look forward to playing Wisconsin. That's, that is a good rivalry in my opinion, even though they've gotten the better of us way too often in the last several years, they've been really, really strong led by Retke and Hilly and Haggerty and Loberg, who will be seniors this year and maybe seniors again next year, or at least will be on the roster possibly again next year, but they've been, they've been really tough. You know, we didn't have grace and we had gone quite a bit of our preseason practice utilizing grace in a really critical position because we didn't have Caitlin Newton. She was out with the knee surgery. And so we probably, looking back, shouldn't have put so much emphasis on Grace, not knowing she was going to get sick. And uh, now she's missed the first couple of matches and could possibly miss a third weekend of play. So it's uh, it made it really difficult to defend uh, a team like Wisconsin. I think offensively it was also tough, but certainly when you play a team that's got the monsters that Wisconsin has and a great setter, and almost an entire team returning, they're in, they're in mid-season form on opening day. And we just weren't prepared uh, defensively well enough to be able to contain them. Uh, I thought the first night we were just trying to figure some things out and it didn't go very well. The second night, I thought our team competed uh, really, really well. I thought represented Boilermaker country at a high level on Saturday, but still wasn't enough to, to, man, to maintain enough uh, pressure on Wisconsin. And still, nonetheless, you know, a, a trio of scores in the teens in that opening match, and then a little bit more competitive, even thought, you know, maybe that second set would go Purdue's way in the second match. Then to see Wisconsin really take care of Illinois on consecutive days, I think it was 25 to 9 last Friday and 25 to 12 in the third set or fourth set on Saturday, really shows that the Badgers could be head and shoulders um, atop this conference. This weekend will be fun, though, as Purdue will host seventh-ranked Minnesota, coming off of a weekend with a pair of sweeps against Iowa. And Coach J.L. Johnson, most recently named Big Ten Player of the Week, Taylor Trammell, set new career highs this past weekend. But I'll tell you what, I was most impressed with the defense of Haley Bush. She had a double-double on Friday, really was all over the court defensively with some digs as well as Jenna Otek on Saturday. 
What impressed you the most this past weekend against Iowa? Well, as, as much difficulty as it has been to play without grace and to, to play most of the non or the preseason without Caitlin Newton, other players had to step forward during that time. And so more emphasis was put on J.L. Johnson and Taylor Tramble in the middle. More opportunities were open for Maddie Cook and Maddie Chin. And because of that, um, we have a better squad and we're going to get better and better as we get healthier and healthier. Our depth is going to be as, as good as most teams in the country, with the exception of probably Wisconsin, who just has a plethora of talent right now. And so I think the adversity has only made us stronger, as they like to say. Uh, but certainly our defense was good. Haley Bush has turned into a premier setter in our league and in the country. I, I just love the way that she competes and runs our team. The middles have played well. Taylor Trammell is uh, ahead of schedule, in my opinion. She's just so athletic. She's freakishly athletic for a, a middle in, in our league. But the three players that I have really been happy with have been the sophomores, uh, the pin hitters that you love to discuss uh, on the pregame show. Maddie Cook, Maddie uh, Chin, and uh, Emma Ellis. Those three have... Uh, raise their level and are competing for playing time and yet still being great teammates at the same time. So I, I feel like we're really looking forward to this weekend with Minnesota because we, we feel like we're going to be able to compete with anybody in the country now. And we're going to play at home where we played very well last weekend against Iowa and uh, just excited for the opportunity to, to welcome. Uh, I think ABCA had them at number six um, as yeah. of yesterday afternoon and again, they're a team that was in the final four a year ago. So I'm not sure why they're not uh, a top four pick because uh, they, they've got great talent, as I know you're aware of. Yeah, and Minnesota has had a strong start to their season. They swept through Maryland last weekend as well. And, and fans of Purdue were lucky enough, and I was lucky enough to be joined by Val Nickel this past weekend. We really you know, dove into that exact thing that you talked about. The, the growth over the past six to eight months in Val as the volunteer assistant last fall, got to see Maddie Chin up close and personal, see her grow, see Maddie Cook grow, see Emma Ellis grow. And so do you think that at least without grace, the absence of a right side hitter at the moment gives them a little bit more incentive because there is that, that rolling turnstile opportunity that you never know when Coach Dave Shondell is going to put me at right side or put me at left side in this next match. I think that they recognize there's opportunities and there's a space for them to squeeze into. I also believe that there may only be one spot for those three from time to time. Um, if, if Grace returns, she could play the right side. She could play the middle. She could play the left side. So depending on where she goes may dictate where other people play and how often they play. But I think that they've proven all three of the sophomore pin hitters have proven they can compete and play and perform at the high level of big 10 play. Cause we've seen Wisconsin and then Iowa in the first two, two weekends and all three have, have, have done some really good things and made me develop a lot of confidence in them. Before we dive into this upcoming weekend against Minnesota, I want to ask you, is there a team that you can remember that has had so much fluidity in the positional, you know, area as this team where on any given week, if you were prepping to face Purdue, 
you really have no idea who's going to play where, who's going to play at all. Do you remember a team in, in recent history that you've had that much flexibility with? Uh, probably not, but it might have been when you had Danielle and we could play Danielle Catino in, in various spots. She could play all three spots across the front row. And we had a lot of really good players. Uh, athletically, we were, were in pretty good shape at that point, but uh, not not as much flexibility as we have with so many players that can play left or right. And then Grace gives you the unique ability that Danielle did of having somebody six, three and a half that could play any of the three spots. So as we take a look at this upcoming weekend against Minnesota, the Gophers grabbed the, the freshman of the week honors in both week one and week two. Shaftmaster out of Indiana, Landfair, um, the outside hitter, a pair of, of newcomers. But aside from that, Coach, we're going to see a lot of those names that at least, you know, Purdue fans of the last couple of years have been accustomed to seeing Rollins and Samity and Pittman and uh, McGraw in the back row. What kind of attack do you think is best suited to try to exploit the size and the defense that this Gophers team has? Well, I think offensively, you have to be in system more than they are. And I think that we can be, since our bread and butter on uh, this team is going to be our, our serving and passing game. Minnesota serves tough. They have some really long athletes that um, can really serve the ball to trajectory that makes it tough. And, you know, Hugh has always had a good serving team. They emphasize that. And so we're going to have to pass very, very well to stay in system and be in system more often than what Minnesota is. I think that they have great balance. You know, you mentioned Pittman, who was an All-American a year ago, but they also added Katie Myers, Maryland, who was an All-Big Ten performer for the, for the Terps last season. So that was a great player to drop into the lap of, of Hugh McCutcheon. And they lost a really good left side hitter. Uh, Hart, Alexa Hart, uh, that started for four years. She left, but they replaced her with a Landfair, as you mentioned, who was the number one recruit in the country and is six foot five and is going to be a world beater. So they're, they'll be better than they were a year ago based on you know what they lost and what they have returning and, and have coming in in uh, transfers and freshmen. So it'll be a real challenge for our team, but that's why our players come here to Purdue to try to do the things that – Maybe others don't think they can do and compete at the highest level. So I, I really like the opportunity we have this weekend. And, and I, I do believe that it'll be a, a real good competitive battle this, this weekend, two of them against Minnesota. The, uh, the Gophers swept Michigan State at home to start their season. And then they swept Maryland back to back last weekend, but really have not used their middles in a way that, that we've seen you guys use them. I mean, Pittman has seven kills hitting 174 through the six sets. Katie Myers, just a casual 500, but only eight kills for her on 14 swings. From the tape that you've seen, is it just that Samity and Rollins are just, you know, exceptional athletes at their position and they've seen opportunities to exploit that? Or is it a freshman setter trying to get into the rhythm of, of get it to their middles? Yeah, I would say that a combination of those uh, proposals, the freshman setter is trying to get comfortable and it's, it's easier to set the, the higher, safer set to the pins than it might be to try to run the slide or a, a 31 or a, a set. Uh, they don't, you know, passing has not been something that 
they've really won matches with uh, at Minnesota. They don't pass poorly, but they haven't been toward the, the upper tier of the Big Ten with their passing. So therefore, they don't pass to target as frequently as some teams. And so the middle opportunities aren't there. Although Pittman in the past has really made it difficult for our team. She's been really, really good on the nights that we've played them. She's a great competitor. So, you know, we have to start, I still think, with, with Pittman and Samaday and Rollins and work our way from there. But they're going to be hard to defend. There's, you, you can't put that kind of talent on, on one side of the floor. It's, it's kind of like playing Wisconsin. I mean, it's just so many great offensive players that you have to do a lot of things extremely well to be able to stay in the match. So it's Minnesota, it's Wisconsin up at the top of the conference at 4-0. Ohio State, who was, you know, both of our trendy picks to surprise some people, they're 3-0. Nebraska, Northwestern, 2-0. And then Illinois and Purdue sitting at 2-2. Indiana, Rutgers, 1-3. But you mentioned Michigan and Penn State. Nobody knows what to expect from them. Both of them ranked in the top 25, Penn State top 10, Michigan top 25 but neither of them have played. What's your outlook on the Big Ten as we sit here, you know, first week of February? Well, the records that you listed there are meaningless at this point um, because it, it's so early in the season, and I don't think there have been a lot of upsets at this point in time. They've gone pretty much according to form, but there are some teams that haven't played each other. I think the biggest concern that uh, uh, fans and <clears throat> coaches might have is how are these games going to be made up? the matches that Michigan, Penn State, Northwestern uh, have lost and are going to lose, how will those be made up? And are they going to be made up to where there is any equity in, in, at the end of the day? When the schedule was put together, we knew there was going to be two teams that everybody in the conference didn't play. Um, you're going to play uh, 11 opponents. There'd be two opponents you would not play, but there was some rhyme and reason. They tried to balance that out. So you weren't Nobody was not going to play the two worst teams or not going to play the two best teams. But now, if you don't make up these games, there's going to be some real um, fairness issues in the end of the season, who played who, to get their record. If, if uh, Northwestern goes through three weekends and doesn't play, there's six matches that they have to try to make up. I don't see any way they can do that in our schedule. They'd be lucky to play one of those, one of those matches with each team uh, to, to get back to some of the, the lost time. So that'll be interesting, but I still think that, that there's, uh, you know, three or four teams that look like they're ahead of everybody just based on past history and the talent they've got. But I think that there's also three others that are knocking on the door. And I think we're one of those, uh, you know, we'll find out a lot more about ourselves this weekend. I was going to say, I think this weekend will either put a lot of Purdue fans at nerve when it comes to the NCAA tournament or really um, set them to be a little bit more relaxed, depending on a couple of the results against, against yeah, and, and I won't argue with that, but it's way too early for any of that. Um, you know, we, we, we will open up in the first three weekends uh, of competition, playing three opponents. We're playing two of the top four teams in the country. Um, and so to with, with a team that is not playing with the full deck, at this point, you know, physically. So um, I would love to get one or two this weekend, but if we don't, we're not going to fold the 10 up. Uh, we're going to keep getting better and go after the people that we know that we have a, a really strong chance of beating if we play, you know, Boilermaker volleyball. Oh, absolutely. I think 
you know, just the, uh, the change to only 16 at large teams. If, if nobody has, uh, has heard that one, that's going to be interesting because, you know, we're not going to get the typical eight big 10 teams into the NCAA tournament. If you had to guess right now, coach, how many big 10 teams do you think will make, you know, at least be on that bubble? Because we don't really have any idea what the committee or any of the deciding bodies are going to lean towards without. No, they, they haven't, they haven't given us much uh, help with any suggestions on how they're going to go about doing that. But there are 18 at large bids because the Ivy league and the, and the, uh, the big West are not playing. My, my guess is six to seven teams. Uh, last year, we only had seven, if I'm right. Ohio State would have been in that grouping, but they, they were not eligible due to being below 500 uh, overall record. So I still think the Big Ten gets six, six teams uh, and possibly seven uh, if teams perform the way that I, I think that they could. Uh, it still makes it, makes it tough in our league because there's a lot of really good teams. Ohio State's emerging as a team that's going to give considerate, be given consideration. Northwestern appears as if they're going to be one of those teams that – could uh, could be much better this year. So um, it, it's just way too early to tell, especially when you've got two teams that haven't stepped on the floor yet. And uh, of course, Nebraska just only played once and got their their last week weekends matches postponed and Northwestern may be out for, you know, two or three weekends. And, you know, you mentioned last year, six season in a row with seven or more Big Ten teams into the NCAA tournament. There were seven teams that made it last year. Let's change uh, direction here and talk about a few of the new additions to your staff and, and how everything's going with them. I mentioned Val Nickel was the volunteer assistant for the fall with no fall season. She's headed off to, uh, to play down in Texas in the Athletes Unlimited League with Sheridan Atkinson that we'll keep close tabs with, keep everyone updated because that's going to start in just a few weeks at the end of February. But you've got a new volunteer assistant, a new grad manager, and a new supervisor of volunteer operations. Coach, why don't you go through that and and let us all know how how all of the newcomers have adjusted. And I think there's there's been a, a new uh, strength and conditioning coach as well. Yeah, we we have a really good group here. It's uh, it's a youth movement, if you will, which is is kind of nice when your staff has been together for 18 seasons. It's nice to spice it up a little bit with some some young people. And I'll start with our volunteer coach Chad Sutton, who's only been here for really about four and a half weeks. Chad is a very successful high school and club coach out of the Sarasota, Florida area. And uh, Chad brings a lot of confidence and a lot of knowledge to our program. And, um, you know, he's off to a, a fast start. Our um, grad manager is Michael Burrell. And Michael is a longtime manager at Penn State University that is a mathematics major, a brilliant young man that uh, wants to coach. And he's really good with what we call data volley which is a scouting service that, uh, that, uh, or service that we use that allows us to kind of play the numbers game a little bit with, with our opponents. And uh, he's been here now since uh, early this summer, doing a great job. Our uh, supervisor of operations, uh, Amy Angelos, uh, was at Northern Illinois as an assistant coach. She played at Baylor. She was also a volunteer coach for Mark Rosen at the University of Michigan and is a splendid addition to our staff. Just a lot of enthusiasm, very positive individual, uh, and just doing a bang-up job for us. And uh, our strength coach is uh, Aaron Broca, uh, Broca, right? Broca, B-R-O, 
C-H-A, I believe, is, is the spelling. I could be wrong, maybe K-A. I think that's a K. But Aaron can't, comes to us from Santa Barbara, where she was a coach, uh, strength coach at UCSB. She has also been at Kentucky. She's been at UCLA and somewhere else uh, during her tenure. And she is just a, a tremendous motivator of our young women. She is uh, aggressive, assertive, big-time personality. So, you know, those are four. Am I forgetting anybody that you want me to talk about? I, I think I that's. I think that's going to cover yeah. all the all the new. But that's. Uh, we oh, we also have obviously with Rachel Coe in communications. Uh, she is also new since last year. So we have five, you know, key people on our staff out of the out of the you know ten or ten to twelve people that work here. Uh, on a regular basis with our volleyball program. So that's a big change, but it's been a seamless uh, transition as far as I am concerned. And they're all bringing a lot of things that can help us, but mostly just an energy, enthusiasm, new ideas. I love to have you know, people come in that are, that are not afraid to throw new ideas at us, new theories, new, new uh, philosophies, and not, and not leery of saying something that might bother someone who's been here a long time. Because um, when you got the same staff here together for a long time that's positive in a lot of ways but you you like to hear some some new ideas some different things that might work whether it's how you deal with your players how you manage uh you know uh around the clock uh, strength training uh, nutrition all those different things so it's it's a really really good staff and we just matter of fact had lunch because we val nickel leaves uh val been living up here in west lafayette and she's getting ready to take off uh for dallas to play in the new pro league so we uh, had a little celebration for her at, uh, today at lunch. So everybody was out together and it's just a, it's a lively group for sure. That's fantastic. Yeah. Team chemistry, coach chemistry, all of that factors in. It was just recently, um, I guess, promoted and advertised that, that you coach Jewel and, and your brother are now officially the active longest tenured coaching staff in college volleyball. So when you saw that, I don't know if you had known that in the, in the last few months or in the last year or so, what did that kind of feel for you as opposed to something that clearly you've, you've felt a strong bond with them, but just to see that it's the longest tenured active staff, what did that mean to you? I just think it, we have some unique assistant coaches that um, have had every opportunity to, to move up in, in what, how other people might look at it, to move to better jobs, better paying jobs from that standpoint, going from an assistant coach to a head coach, which is what a lot of people like to do. We, we just have at Purdue two coaches that just love what they're doing, that have embraced uh, the situation that they've been provided by Purdue. And um, John, for example, is, is a guy that just loves to be in the gym. He, he's, he's a great trainer of the game of volleyball, one of the best in the country. His wife's a Purdue graduate who has a great job here in this community. And so it, 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 it would take an unbelievable opportunity to pry him away from doing what he loves to do um, here with a young family that's in the volleyball community as well here. So um, he, he's, I'm just, I'm really blessed that he's here. Cat Jewel is in a similar situation. She, she just likes what she's doing. And she's kind of the, the glue that holds the whole program together here. You know, John and I are volleyball oriented um, and, and, and Kat can kind of take care of all the nuts and bolts that go around that as well as being, you know, very effective in the gym. So, um, yeah, I, I feel lucky about that, that they're still here. But on the same hand, that's why you need to bring some new people in as well around 
all of us uh, to give us some life and, and some, some new ideas on how we can improve what we're doing here. And so before we move on to, you know, a little bit of fun with Fifth Set with Shondell, we, we wanted to give our, our best wishes to the Beerman family after the news that the, um, the former Lexington University Volleyball Club founder and director Chris Beerman lost his life with the battle against coronavirus, the, the father of Kendall Beerman. And, and coach, I know you wanted to talk about this, so I, I want to give you the platform here. Yeah, and I won't, I won't be long with it, but thanks, Daniel. Chris Beerman was a really, really good friend of mine. Chris uh, is about 10 years younger than I am, nine, 10 years younger, was uh, one of the best all-time players at Ball State University. And if you don't know, Ball State's men's volleyball program traditionally has been outstanding. And certainly when Chris was there, it was uh, at one of the, the pinnacles of uh, the program. And when he went to the Final Four, three or four times and was a, a two-time All-American and still has the kills and digs records uh, at Ball State University. And he started his coaching and uh, I think he was at uh, James Madison was his uh, first stop. And then Pittsburgh, where he was really successful at Pitt uh, before he went on to be an assistant at uh, University of Kentucky and then uh, decided he just wanted to run a club program that his daughter played in. And it's a big time program that he that, that he developed there in Lexington. His wife, Mary Beth, played for my brother Steve at Burris and also played at Ball State. So we've known uh, the family forever. And as you mentioned, Kendall was a, a really, really good player for our, our arch rival, Indiana University. But Chris Behrman is a guy that if you knew him, you won't for, you, you never forget him because it, one of the most intense competitors I've ever seen. If you didn't know him well enough, you just thought he was angry a lot. Uh, but as Chris got older and older and, and learned to love uh, the fact that he had this amazing family, he became such a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I got to know him, uh, you know, when he was young. Matter of fact, played on some teams with him when he was even younger. And uh, but what a great competitor. But I, I, I just knew how happy he was uh, living the life he was living there in Lexington, running that club, coaching and just watching his family. His son plays uh, football at Eastern Kentucky. He's a wide receiver, uh, very talented. He's on the portal right now, if anybody's looking for a, a fifth-year uh, receiver. Uh, but it's just, a, it's just a tragedy for a guy that's in the prime of his life to not be able to, to watch his, his kids continue their journey in life. And, and uh, when, he, when you're content and you, and you just love waking up every day, it's, it seems a kind of a shame that, you know, you just can't do it anymore. But uh, COVID does not know any difference whether you're a six foot four inch monster of a man uh, or not. Uh, and so I think that's the lesson that we can learn is we still have to continue to be very careful in how we operate throughout the course of the day because uh, COVID is still out there. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's tough to beat once you get it. There we go. Yeah, fantastically said. Everyone keep wearing your masks stay safe. And coach, I think that's, that's the perfect way to, to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. Okay. Thanks, Daniel. So we'll be back on the air for Purdue volleyball Friday, 6 50 PM Eastern time with the pre-match show then seven o'clock against Minnesota Saturday, 5 PM first serve. So 4 50 PM Eastern time on the pre-match show, PurdueSports.com or 104.3 FM. You can catch me there. Coach will be joining me for the pre-match interview on Friday, so I'll talk to him then. That'll wrap up this episode of Dig City, a pretty volleyball podcast. He's Dave Shondell. I'm Daniel Gilman. We'll talk to you again soon.